0: Welcome to the weekly Rashi share, coming to you from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash in Melbourne, and we are up to Perak Gimel Pasuk Vav. But in order to know Perak Gimel Pasuk Vav, we have to review Perak Gimel Pasuk Hey, because in Perak Gimel Pasuk Hey, the Nachash, trying to encourage Chava to eat from the fruit, said because Hashem knows that on the day you eat from it, the your eyes will be opened or, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, so three things will happen, says the Nachash. and if you look in Pasuk Vav, you find a remarkable symmetry because we see the ha'isha, Kitovha ate themahal, that the woman saw that the tree, literally, was good to eat, thetavahulahaym, and it was desirous to the eyes. The Nehmadha ate and the tree was chamud, delightful, Lahazkil for intelligence. And then, as a result of these three things, the Dekarmi she took from its fruit the and she ate, the Titan Gamla Isha, and she also gave to her husband, Ima, with her the and he ate. So a bit of a disaster, really, um, because there was one predicate that Kaddish Baruch Hu gave to humanity and they didn't keep to it. But let's understand what Rashi says. So Rashi says um, on the words for terah Isha davarav She saw the words of the Nachash and they appealed to her or they made sense to her and she believed him. So the first thing that Rashi says is to explain what the Terah means or the terah, sorry, the Teira Ha'isha, the woman saw. So what does he, Rashi, say it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean, literally, that she saw with her eyes. So he thinks it means, Ra'ata devarav shanachas. She saw the words of Anachash. Now, it's a not uncommon phrase in the Mishnah that when two Tanayim present their opinions, then a third tanna, usually Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, actually, because he's, after all, the redactor of the Mishnah, says, devarav shal So-and-so. The words of one Tana are seen to me, which means I prefer the words of that Tana. That's what the phrase Nira means in the Mishnah. So Rashi is suggesting, that it has a similar interpretation here. She saw the words of anachash in the sense that she accepted his words. His words made sense to her. Now, why does Rashi say that? Because... The teraha isha kitovha eats the machal. How can you see literally that the tree is good to eat? You can't see that a tree is good to eat. You can only find that out by eating, and she hasn't eaten that yet. So and you can't there's no a visual sign on a fruit but it's good to eat. It doesn't come with a label saying, eat me. But rather, so therefore, te rahi Isha, Rashi says, in order for it to make sense, is she saw that there was truth in the words of the Nachash. And therefore, what did she learn from the words of the Nachash? Now Rashi pauses the verse by explaining these three terms. And you'll see, I'll tell you straight away, that he matches them up to the three things that the Nachash said. Again, the Nachash said, and now, she sees that the fruit is, or she sees the words of Anachash telling her, So, three and three. So, there's a symmetry here. And Rashi feels that the three match the three, but there's also clues in the, phrases, in the phraseology that makes the three match the three. And he says on the words, Lehiot ke Elohim, Tov haEitz is what the Nachash said that if you eat it, you'll be like gods. Vechitava hula Amar like the Nachash said to her. Your eyes will be opened. And finally, the Nehmad haEitz matches with the one other phrase that the Nachash used. Kamosha Amar la, like he said to her. Yodea Tov vera knowing good and evil now again really the whole thing follows from rashi's first line rashi's first line is she saw truth in the words of the nachash and she now with rashi will now explain how she saw the three things that the nachash said as it were come true at least in her mind and at least in one of them there's a really good match what would you say of the three that match up is the really good one Einaim. okay, I would agree. And that's why I said it. V'chitava hu l'einaim matches up with nifkachu e'neichem. And that already tells you that the order is not important because it's the first in the Nachash's words in he and it's the second in uh, Chava's response in vav. So if we're saying that Chava is seeing truth in, in the Nachash's words, which is how Rashi understands the word v'tereh, and therefore what's going to happen, what she sees involved is going to be the manifestation of what the Nachash said to her in Hay. And there's a three-three match. And there's an nechem and nayim. Then we don't have to worry about the order. And clearly Rashi doesn't worry about the order because the first thing that the Isha sees, Kitov tov ha'itzlamachal, is Lihiyot Eloke Elohim, Elohim, it's not clear if, if, if I, 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 the reason I'm uh, oscillating between Elohim and Elohim is because it's not clear if the Nachash is talking about Hashem himself or just God's small g in general. Anyway, um, so the first thing that uh, Rashi says that she sees is the second thing that the Nachash said. Now, why does Rashi put it first? Well, it might just be a mix, uh, you know, by process of elimination. The Enachem uh, refers to the Einaim, and uh, well, we'll see, and maybe the third refers to the third. But or that Rashi sees that in her mind, or, or what stuck out from the words of Anachash as the most significant, is Vitem ke'elohim. And that's what she sees first when she looks at the tree and understands his words. Because V'yitem Kelohim is really the ikar of what the Nachash said. The Nachash said, if you remember from what we learned two weeks ago, that Hashem doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he doesn't want you to become as good as him. And he compared it to um, tradesmen or artisans don't want other people to be as good as they are. So that's, if you like, the starting point for, according to the Nachash, why Hashem doesn't want them to eat from the tree. And that's why it's the starting point in terms of what she sees as the uh, fulfillment of the words of the Nachash. So that would explain Tiko samachal. that gives you the power to be like Elohim. Tava hula e matches up with Nifkahu Enachem, as Rashi says, enechem, which leaves Venechmat ha eit La Haskil to match up with Yodaia Tovara, but that also makes sense. Why does that make sense? Because Lahazkil is about intelligence and Yodea Tovara is about knowing good and evil. Now, you remember Rashi said that was like a side point. Uh, be, you'll be like God, not knowing good and evil. Rashi said that meant making words and was like something separate. But it's still one of the three things that the Nachash says. And therefore, it matches up with one of the three things that Chava sees. And in particular, it matches up with Sorry, the tree was nice, was pleasant, was beloved to uh, gain understanding from, so that's how Rashi sees, and it really all stems from his understanding of the terer. She saw in, she, she saw truth in his words, not and not that she saw something about the quality of the tree per se, because you don't see qualities of tree, as I said, you understand the meanings of words. Any questions? No, nope. let's move on. Okay, so the next thing is the terkach me priyo. She took from its fruit the tochal and she ate. And she gave also to her husband. So Rashi says on that, so that she should not die and he would remain alive and he would then marry someone else. It's interesting. I saw a reflection on this. I'm not sure it's really in Rashi's words, but um. Rashi gives a whole different slant on what you might think Chava is doing. It sounds from the pshat that Chava's got this amazing experience. She's eating this fruit because it's going to give her wisdom and open her eyes and all that. And she wants to share that with her beloved husband. So she says, come on, will you like share the experience with me? That might be the simple pshat, but Rashi's not having any of that at all. Rashi says it's all a defense and a rather cruel defense mechanism, lest he remain alive. It also tells us, um, in these words of Rashi, that it's all very well saying she sees the words of Anachash and the fruit is like amazing, it's going to be good for her eyes and her intelligence and her wisdom, but she's also why she's going to die. It seems that Rashi is saying that the words that the Nachash said, he pushed her against a tree and she didn't die. She wasn't totally convinced by that. And somehow she thought that, nevertheless, eating the fruit is going to make her die, if not now, but at some time in the future, which actually brings me on to say, uh, I just thought of this, that the famous question is, um, Hashem said, on the day you eat from the fruit, you will die. And they ate from the fruit and they didn't die. So the simple answer to that, although it's not explicit in Rashi, is that by eating the fruit, they became fitting for death that death will come to them eventually, whereas had they not eaten from the fruit, the suggestion is they would have been immortal. Uh, that, that would have created other problems, so it's not so simple, but maybe that's the pshat in. On the day you eat it, you will die, means you will become liable for death. And that would perhaps would fit with uh, as if Chava's worked that out and she wants to give him the fruit, because if she's not going to die today, she is now liable for death at some stage and she doesn't want him to live without her. Um, you might wonder, where's another wife going to come from? So someone want to answer that question, where's another wife going to come from? Well, maybe he's got another rib, if it's ribs. If it's selah, meaning side, he has, he's run out of sides. But um, there were other women around. How do we know there are other women around? How do we know there are other women around? Their sons married. Their sons married. Well, Kine had children. Hevel didn't because he was killed. So how did Kine have children? So one answer, and Rashi himself brings this in Perek is that with Hevel and with Kine were born twin sisters. They're not mentioned. It's interesting because they don't have a significant role that needs them to be mentioned, but they're not mentioned. But there were other women around, uh, and maybe uh, Chava worries that Adam will pair off with one of his daughters. Um, which is probably no worse than Kain marrying his sister. Um, in those days, there was limited to choose from, so some of the rules that applied later weren't applied at that time. Okay, so why does um, Rashi say that? I, I think one can answer this Rashi as quite a simple one. Some Rashis are simple, that Rashi has to explain, Pshat, why did she give to her husband? Why did she give to her husband? So Rashi explains why she gave to her husband. It also fits, but there's a lot of jealousy and uh, worrying about relationships going on here. Remember, Rashi said that the Nachash saw Adam and Chava engaged in sexual relations and he wanted to be with Chava and therefore he's trying to get rid of Adam. Chava's worried that the plan will backfire spectacularly and that she will be the one to go and Adam will remain with someone else. Um, Rashi is telling us that these basic human instincts are there at the dawn of creation and it's part of the human psyche. Okay, but now Rashi brings a more midrashic explanation on a key, a key word, on the word gam. So the Pasuk says, um, By the way, I'm sorry to say, sorry, I, I missed something, that some of the Mephoshim say the previous comment about um, she gave to Adam so that he wouldn't live without her is learnt from the word ima, with her. Now, by the way, I've noticed there's a slight problem with that because the word ima is not in Rashi's quote. And as we've said before, Rashi's quote is very precise. And if he's commenting on the word ima, one would expect the word ima to be in the Gibran in the opening words of his phrase. But be that as may, um, so someone to learn that she's giving him the, 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 the limit that she's giving it to him so that he will die alongside her is learnt out from ima. But what is learnt out from gum? Why do we need the word gum? Rashi says the word gum is not necessary for the simple pshat. Therefore, it must include something else. So Rashi says, gam, l'rabot behema v'chaya. It comes to include the animals and the other types of animals. And she gave this fruit to all creation. Why would she want to give the fruit to all creation? So there is a suggestion that um, it was sort of like uh, calling God's bluff. That if he's going to punish Adam and Khava or even bring Adam and Khava's lives to a close at that point because they ate from the fruit, then she's saying you've got to do that to all the animals as well, and you're probably not going to want to do that. Um, some sort of uh, insurance policy. But anyway, the reason is, is for us to speculate on. The limb of the learning comes from the word gum. Rashi says the word gum is extra and therefore it comes to teach something extra. So she gives also to her husband, in other words, to her husband, and also to others, also to other species. Let's move on to Bozik Zion, which uh, I've always found a great puzzle, but I think I've got a better understanding of it now than I used to. And it says, v'tifakachna e'nei sheneihem. The eyes of the two were opened. v'yeidu ki e'rumim and they knew that they were naked. Okay. Now we'll we'll leave the rest of the pasuk for later. We can deal with it separately, although it, it will become relevant. Um, I just want to refer you to first of all pasuk cafe of Peret Bet, the end of Perikbet, Bet, which said, "Vehi yusheneihem arumim." The two of them were naked. Haadam ve'ishto the man and his wife v'lo yit bashashu, and they were not ashamed. They were not embarrassed. And look at Rashi there. Why were they not embarrassed? They did not know the way of Tzniyot. Modesty really doesn't cut it as a translation. Let's leave it as Tovera, To distinguish between good and bad. Um, and then he goes on to say, Even though he, the, the man, had been given knowledge or whatever they are is to call names to all the animals so obviously he had some deep understanding and he was like a clever fellow mm-hmm. nevertheless mm-hmm. they didn't have the hara, the evil incarnation until they ate from the fruit so beforehand being naked even having sexual relations in public was not something that they felt uncomfortable about because that, comes, that, that sense of discomfort when you're naked only comes from the Yitzhahara, when you have a different attitude towards the body and towards relations, um, that didn't happen prior to eating from the fruit. That's evidence number one. Evidence number two comes from, a, a few pesukim ahead, we may or may not get to it today, where um, Adam and Chava respond after they've eaten the fruit, they hide and why do they hide? Um, yeah, it doesn't say explicitly why they hide, but they hide. But then Hashem says to Adam, "Why are you hiding?" And Adam replies in Pasuk Yud, V'yome et shamati began uh, Adam says, "I heard the your voice in the garden, the ira, and I was afraid ki erumim anohi, that I was naked, the and I hid." And to which Hashem says... Who told you that you are naked? And Rashi there... I know I'm jumping and we might even get to it today... But it's relevant to what we're learning right now. Rashi there on Yud Aleph... Where did you know that there is shame or embarrassment in standing naked? And the Hashem goes on to say, Did you eat from the tree? Which I told you not to eat from. So, what do we see? We see that before he ate from the tree, there was no embarrassment about being naked. And Rashi says, because the Sahara only came when they ate from the tree. After they ate from the tree, he's embarrassed that he's naked, exactly as Rashi said was going to happen. And Hashem says, Wow, you're naked. Who told you that there's anything embarrassing about being naked? Right. Now, bear that in mind, and let's go back to Pasek Zion. And they know that they are naked. Obviously, you might think, this is part of the same continuum that I showed you before and after. This is the key moment. They've eaten from the fruit. Wow! They realize they're naked. But Rashi says nothing of the sort. Rashi says on Pasek Zion, the hakatuf. The pasuk is talking about wisdom, the Lola inyan ria mamash, and not about actual seeing. The and the rest of the Pasuk proves that. Now why does Rashi have to say that? Before we get on to the Yedu Ki Rumiheimim, because this is the essential introduction. Their eyes were open. Now, what does eyes opening mean? Do we know any other example of eyes being opened in the Chumash? In Perakaf Alaf Pasuk Yud Tet, perhaps. Hmm? I just told you to let look, so look, go on. It's temporary you've got it in front of you. Perakaf Alaf Pasuk Yud Tet. Whose eyes were opened? Uh, yes, but that's not embrace Brishit Perikavala, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. No, nope. It's not hard. You just look in the book. Oh, Come on. Her eyes. Uh, yes, Hashem opened her eyes, and who is she, and what's the result? Hagar. Thank you. Okay, Hagar. You know, guys, yes. when you have a reference, look it up. <laughs> Always look it up. Uh, and if somebody tells you here's a good reference, look it up. Okay, so Hagar's eyes were opened by Hashem, and as a result, the teire be'er mayim she saw a well of water. So in that case, opening eyes means you see things you hadn't seen before. But do we have any other reference to opening eyes? Well, not long ago, in Pasuk Hay, the Nachar said, your eyes will be opened." Did he mean that you will see things you haven't seen before? No. What did he mean? You'll reach a new level of understanding. So, we have a problem. A simple problem. Pikach, <speaking> opening eyes. Does it mean seeing more things, like Hagar did? Or does it mean a new level of understanding, like it was used just previously in Pasuket? Rashi has to tell us which one it is. So he says... You might not be sure which meaning it has, so I, Rashi, am telling you that it's talking about chachma, about wisdom, and not with seeing exactly, not with literally seeing. And then he says, the the end, but actually means the next part of the Pasuk, proves it. Now that is crucial because he is not only explaining why he goes to this particular meaning of tipa kachna, but he shows that there's a link between the first part and the second part. So what does he say on veyedu ki erumim haim? And this is the um, big reveal that I've been setting you up for. It's nothing about being naked. That's the amazing thing about Ve Veyedu ki erumim heim. Af hasuma yodea even a naked, sorry, a blind person knows that they are naked. So, what does it mean? They knew that they were naked. There was one mitzvah in their hands, and they were stripped of it, if you like. Artala is the way Unculus translates Erum um, every time. And it means naked. But Rashi is using it as a sort of metaphor. They were div- divested. They were stripped of it, of the one mitzvah that they had been given. So they were naked, not in a sense that they didn't have any clothes on, but they were naked of the one mitzvah that they had. Okay. Why does Rashi say that? And not the much more obvious pashat that they knew that they were naked in the sense that they didn't have any clothes on and that they hadn't realized before. So Rashi has given us the pathway. So he says the first part, the first comment was, it's all about Chokhmah and, the, and not about Re'iya. And the rest of the Pasek tells it. And I think, now there's a lot of discussion on this and, and I, what I'm going to tell you is actually my own um, my own thoughts, really, rather than anybody else's. So you can take it or, or, or not. But I think the key is the Yad'u. They knew. They knew. They knew something we didn't know before. Now, Rashi is very careful. He doesn't say, in the examples I showed you, in Bet Kav or in gimel Yud Aleph, that the tree, eating the tree, gave them an awareness that they were naked. What did it give them? In fact, it's quite explicit in Rashi's comment on Yud Aleph. When Hashem says, Mihi Gidlacha, who told you? Where did you know that there is shame in being naked? Now, sometimes, you know, when you're explaining this whole inion, uh, it it's sometimes handy to talk about, you know, does a two-year-old get embarrassed that they're naked? Um, and the answer, well, depending on, well, let's say a one-year-old, does a one-year-old get embarrassed that they're naked? They get in the bath and they come out of the bath and they run around the house. And are they embarrassed? No. And in a sense, do they know they're naked? No. Right? Does a 10-year-old, does a 20-year-old get embarrassed when they're naked? Yes, because they have a different understanding of what it means. But that's not the, that, that's not the point. Adam and Chava knew that they were naked before they ate from the fruit. And nowhere does it say they didn't know they were naked. Here, suddenly, they knew that they were a whatever a means. And Rashi is of the opinion that it can't mean now they had the realization that they were naked because they knew that all along. Because nowhere did it say in the text or in Rashi that they were unaware they were naked. All that it said was, they were unaware that it was inappropriate that they were naked. That was what they didn't know. And now they ate from the fruit, and they know that it's inappropriate that they're naked. But it doesn't make any sense to say that eating the fruit made them aware of their literal nakedness. And Rashi, to emphasise that point, says, of course they knew they were naked. Because even a blind person knows that they were naked. You don't need any level of awareness, any new heightened level of awareness to know that you're naked. So therefore, knowing that they were erum must mean something else. And now I would go further. And and this is definitely only my words because I haven't seen this anywhere else. But I think Rashi therefore is saying is this was not a direct result of eating from the fruit. What came as a result of eating from the root, and Rashi says this explicitly by before and after, was that sense of shame. So what's going on here is a different sense, a different realisation, that didn't come from the fruit. Namely, that they've lost a mitzvah. It's not eating the fruit that makes them aware they've lost the mitzvah, it's eating the fruit that is the loss of the mitzvah. Is that You hear the distinction? What they came aware of was the Sahara and the inappropriateness of being naked and the shame of being naked. But here, it's not saying that they ate from the fruit and as a result of eating from the fruit, but indirectly, their eyes were opened um, in the sense of Chachma and they had a new realization that they didn't have before, that they'd lost the mitzvah. After all, the significance that they had one mitzvah and it's important to keep it, they also had before they ate from the fruit. So the importance of Hashem has given them a mitzvah, it's good to keep it, and if you don't keep it, that will be bad. They knew that all along. But now they had the realization that they had lost the mitzvah. And that is not the same as the realization that they, it's inappropriate to be naked. And I think Rashi learns that particularly from the word v'yedou. He, after all, he, he builds his, his second comment on it, and he alludes to it in his first comment. Because when he says in the first comment, v'tipakachna means wisdom, v'sof ha and the rest of the Pasuk proves it, he's referring to the word v'yedu, that they got a knowledge, not a vision, not a, a new um, seeing, but they got a knowledge. And if it's because they got a knowledge of the Tippekachna, that's why he says, first of all, that the Tippekachna is about wisdom, not about seeing. Because look what happened. They knew something. Now, and then he says, well, they can't know that they were naked because they knew that all along. And a blind person knows that they're naked. You don't need any vision to know that. So, therefore, it must mean something else. And therefore he says it means they were naked of the one mitzvah that they'd had and they were lost. They'd lost. Okay. Yes? Um, how does that fit with um, later when it when Hashem says lha? Because then he uses the term and if that's according to Rashi like stripped of a mitzvah, then where's the shame aspect No, because there it doesn't mean stripped of a mitzvah. There it means not wearing so, clothes. So Rashi so he doesn't, like, consistently say it means that. It's, it's in this context. Correct, correct. And I can... That's easy... Uh, yeah, I, I understand the question. So the Rashi understands erum is meaning different things in different places. So he's, he certainly thinks it means here um, erum means stripped of the mitzvah, because he said so. But when um, in Kafhe, bet kaf the erumim, it clearly means naked, as in not wearing clothes, because it doesn't mean stripped of the mitzvah there. So therefore he he is of the opinion that it. it means different things. And after all, by the way, there's another precedent for that. Because Peregimor Posik Alaf, the Hanachash Haya Arum Mikol chayat Tasadeh. So actually it's a third meaning in a sense. By the way, this meaning here in Zion is metaphorically naked. It's not a different word. Right? right? It's uh, there's literally naked and there's metaphorically naked. So it's the same naked, but here is a metaphor. Whereas the nachash haya arum means clever. It, that does not mean naked at all. So I just throw that in. Maybe it's not a good example, but we see that the word arum clearly means at least two different things. So Rashi is certainly entitled to, to understand it as like one of them, but in the metaphorical sense. But, but in, in Yud Aleph, it definitely means in the literal sense. But again, I say that what Hashem says, that what you've gained from the tree is not the knowledge you were naked, which fits with what I'm saying, Rashi is saying here in um, Zion. But what you gain from the tree is the knowledge that you should be ashamed of being naked. Okay, then let's go back to Positik Zion and see what happens next. peru ale And they sowed fig, uh, fig leaves. Ve'yasu lahem chagorot. And they made for themselves belts or some sort of covering with these fig leaves. Now, um, we've mentioned this before, that a cursory reading of the text, naked, you cover up the nakedness with the fig leaves. But notice that they still had to, even when they were wearing the fig leaves, they hid from Hashem because they were naked. So the fig leaves aren't really there to cover up the nakedness, or if they are, they don't do a very good job. Bear that in mind when Rashi says what he says. So he says, This was the tree that they ate from. The Gemara in, not sure where, sorry, gives, I think, seven different suggestions for what the fruit was. And not one of them was apple. Okay, um, I wouldn't say it's the worst thing in the world. Bubonic plague is probably worse than saying it was an apple in the Garden of Eden. Um, but it's pretty bad because it's sloppy reading, because there's no mention of apple here. And the source for apple is Christian iconography. Because whenever Christian artists paint this scene, they put in an apple. That's where the idea comes from. So the Gemara gives seven suggestions, one of which is wheat, by the way which means that you could describe wheat growing in a field as being on a tree, one of which is an etrog. But the Rashi's conclusion here, which is uh, Gamora's conclusion there, actually, is that it's a te'ina, it's a fig. So the fruit that they ate was a fig. So then Rashi says, they made leaves, sorry, they made these uh, coverings from fig leaves. bo nit kanu with the thing that they uh, destroyed or got spoiled, is the same thing with which they got fixed. So they used the the very problem to be the solution. Sometimes that's a good idea in Teshuvah, to turn around the very thing that you were led astray with and make it a source of good. Uh, sometimes that's not a good idea of Teshuvah. If there's something that was a source of a problem, one should run a mile from that thing but in this case the thing that they um, sinned with was the thing that they fixed with well I'm translating it kind of was fixed and it's not necessarily the right translation now indeed the um, there's a midrash that says Adam Arishan sat fasting for 130 years um, while wearing these fig leaves implying that it's part of the teshuva process so Rashi doesn't say that explicitly but maybe he's alluding to the idea that wearing these fig leaves which come from the tree which they sinned with is a way of doing teshuva. Not necessarily a way of covering up, by the way, a way of doing teshuva. But then Rashi gives like, another reason why they ended up with fig leaves. He says, <laughs> The other trees prevented them from taking their leaves. The other trees, as it were, showed their disgust to what Adam and Chavah had done, and the only tree available was the fig tree. Now, those two points seem a little bit contradictory. Number one, it sounds like, although he doesn't say they deliberately chose a fig tree to metakein, to fix what they had spoiled, but it sounds a little bit like that when he says, Then he says, but they didn't have a choice because the other trees wouldn't um, give them their leaves. But then he says something else. Why does it not publicize the tree? In other words, why does the text itself not explicitly say what the tree was? Which fruit it was? And the answer is, Hashem does not want to uh, cause distress to his creation. So that people should not insult the tree, the yomru, and should say, zeh olam al This is the tree that the world was smitten through. So the tree that the world was smitten through was the fig tree. But Hashem doesn't want people going around and pointing at fig trees and saying, you're the tree that caused all this trouble. That's why it's not mentioned in the Torah. However, what's Rashi just done? He's doing exactly that. He's doing exactly that. So what that means is, so, but rather he he's he's quoted what the Gemara does, uh, as he usually does. Um, so what that means is Hashem didn't want to publicize it explicitly, but Hashem did want to give us a remez, an illusion. So when he says he didn't publish it, publicize it, obviously it can't mean Hashem wanted to be kept a total secret because then Rashi's spilled the beans. So rather, what we have to say is Rashi understands that Hashem wanted to keep it hard to work out. Not in a great public manner, but not over-publicized either. Now, perhaps you can say that Adam and Chava were in on it as well, and they didn't want to publicize the fact that it was a fig tree. And their first choice might not have been to make fig leaves, because that might have been publicizing um, what they didn't want publicized. But they had to use fig leaves after all. Why? Because that, now that's why Rashi needs to say that the other trees wouldn't let them take their leaves so they ended up using the tree which was the source of the problem became the source of some sort of tikkun some sort of fixing um, but maybe that wasn't their first choice and that's why Rashi says the other trees wouldn't let them take they ended up taking from the fig tree and Rashi the last three words Midrash Rabbi Tanchum ok I want to move on to Pasuket because Pasuket is a big one Because, well, not because of the the, the content, but because of Rashi's introduction. So, the Pasuk says, They heard the voice of Hashem Elokim walking in the garden. Um, That's a sort of direction. We'll leave it to Rashi to say, And Adam and his wife hid. Mipnei Hashem Elokim betoch uh, et hagan. Because of Hashem, where did they hide? In the midst of the trees, I put it in plural, of the garden. But I want, before we get into what the Pasuk is saying, let's look at Rashi's introduction. Ve'yishma'u, yesh agada rabim. There are many Midrash, uh, narrative midrashim. Ve'kava sidrum raboteinu al machanam. And already uh, Chazal have arranged them, al-machonam, on a proper basis, ken meaning firm foundation, But Rabbah Midrashot. And you can find them nicely arranged if you get Bereshit Raba or other Midrashic material. And then Rashi says, I have only come for the simple meaning of the text, Ula Agada and narrative midrashim which satisfy, satisfy the words of Scripture and then he quotes a pasuk from Mishlei Davar Davur Al Afanav. Now why am I excited about this? Because other Meforshim give introductions that appear in the Mikra Kadola before page one. Or before, perakalav, pasakalav. Ramban gives an introduction, Sfona gives an introduction, but gives an introduction, they all give introductions. And if you want to know about their style of pshat, you want to hear it from their own words, you look at their introduction. Rashi doesn't give an introduction. Or maybe he does. He just doesn't put it at the beginning. Where does Rashi put his introduction? Here. This is Rashi's introduction to shitat Rashi. This is where Rashi tells you how Rashi works. And Rashi makes very clear. There are lots of Midrashim. And they're good stuff. And they're arranged very nicely. And I recommend you get Barashit Rabbah out of the Sifriya or you get other Midrashim. It's all good stuff. But it's not what I'm doing. I'm coming for the Pshul Shomikra. I, how can Rashi say that when in every Pasuk it seems that he brings a Midrash? So Rashi tells you why he brings a midrash. I bring a midrash because I bring agada Hamir Shevet Divrei Hamikra. And then he says, davar Duvar Al Afanav. And davar Duvar Al Afanav is a Pasuk, as I said, from Mishlei. It is Perakaf Pasuk Yud Aleph. And what does Dvar Duvar Al Ufanav mean? Any idea? Any way that we can work out why Rashi quotes that Pasuk and what he thinks it means? Any idea how we could work out what Rashi thinks that Pasuk and Mishle means? See Rashi. See Rashi and Mishle. Well, funny enough, that's what I prepared (laughs) earlier. By the way, this phrase, um, Davar Davar al afanav" Rashi uses many times in one form or another. On Shemot, Perak, Kafkim, or Pasuk Bet, he says uh, he, there's various midrashim. al <laughs> And in Shemot Parak Lame Gimel, Yud Gimel, Rashi says al <laughs> That I've come to satisfy the Psukim al <laughs> afnehem. And there are a few others. Uh, but th- what does he say in Mishlei? So the Pasuk in Mishlei reads tapuche <laughs> Zahav b'miskeyat kesef. Um, apples of gold in settings of silver, devar duvar al afanav, is similar to a word spoken, al afanav. And Rashi says there, davar duvar al afanav, al kano, on its base. So, wait, what, what, which, which of the kalim had a kan, had a, had a base? Which of the kalim in the Betmikdash? Sorry, in, or in the Mishkan? No? good guess. The kior. The kiyo, uh, at the beginning of Kisisa, Hashem, uh, Moshe is told to make the kiyo and to put it on its base. And thereafter, whenever the kingdom are listed, it's the kiyah with its kano, with its base. And the word nachon, correct, means founded on a base. And the simple, the short version of nachon is kane Yes, that means, yes, it's good, it's true, it's founded on its base. Anyway, Rashi says explicitly, al-kano, and then he says, "V'dugmato nasati emecha afuna." Uh, that's a pasuk in Tehillim, Pe, uh, Peichet pasuk, um, Tet and Rashi goes on to say, Muvusas u'miyushvet bekarabi." It's it's got a basis. It's got a good basis, and it's settled within me. The einzer ofen the galgal, and it's not from the root of ofen, which means a wheel, the galgal, gal, which also means wheel. It's nothing to do with wheels. In fact, we can continue this process further because Rashi Emishle just quoted a Pasek into hillim So we could see Rashi on hillim. So there, the Posik says, Ani, Ani, Tetzayin, Ani, Ani, min naar. I am poor and I am uh, exhausted from my youth, Nasati mecha I have borne your fear, afuna. What does afuna mean there? Rashi, this is on Tehillim Peichet Pesach Tetzai, and says, umuvaseset Your fear in my heart, fear as in awe, as in I'm awe, in awe of you, is settled and is got a good basis in my heart. And then he goes full circle. Afuna, which is in the, in the, in the Pasuk to Tehillim, is the Lashon, and now he goes back to Mishle, of Davar, Al-Afnav, Al-Machonav. So Al-Afnav is Al-Machonav. Machon is basis, from a ken, from a base. Afuna means well-established, given a base, given a firm foundation. And that's what Rashi understands the Pasuk in Mishle to mean, and that's what he says here. So I'm going to give you where necessary a gadah, which is me Yashevet Divreha Mikra, which will be a settling of the words of the Mikra Davar Duvar al Afnav, a word that is said with its proper foundation. And that is Rashi's manifesto, uh, as a friend of mine put it. That is Rashi saying, that's what I'm going to do. It's up to us to judge how often he sticks to that. Now we can go on with the rest of the pasuk. So, on the word vayishmau, they heard. The pasuk says, "Let's look carefully at the pasuk vayishmau et kol hashem elokim began," which literally means they heard the voice of Hashem Elohim walking in the garden. Now there is actually an ambiguity there. What's the ambiguity? Mithaalech? Yes. But what is the subject of mithalech? The voice. Or? Yes. Okay, because it's one of those dangling modifiers, as uh, we grammarians say. Look, they heard the voice of Hashem walking in the garden. Does that mean the voice was walking? Or Hashem was walking? There's actually another problem, and and I think Rashi um, is answering one or the other, or even both. Look what Rashi does. Vayishmau. So it's not the first vayishmau, which was his manifesto. It's the second vayishmau. Ma What did they hear? Which, by the way, doesn't appear in all texts. Shamu. Those two words. Shamu et kol haKadosh Baruch shahaya mitalech began. What's Rashi added? Look very carefully. He's added one word. He's changed Hashem Elohim to Hakarish Baruch I'm not sure why. I only just noticed that just now so I haven't got an answer for that uh, no, it doesn't say uh, not, it's not quite what Rashi says you're very close <inaudible> that was walking now um, the Mara for instance says that means Rashi is telling you that it's Hashem who was walking Shahaya <inaudible> means that was walking uh, or who was walking they heard the voice of Hashem and what was Hashem doing? Hashem was walking. Now, the maral I think, is happier to say that Hashem was walking, even though it's a gross anthropomorphism, and Hashem has no physical form and no physical attributes, or we don't describe physical attributes to Hashem. But I think that's better, that was less problematic than, say, the voice was walking. How can a voice walk? Um, but, by the way, I think, actually... Um, Le Fianistati, and it's, it's very hard for me to disagree with the Maral, of whom I'm such a fan. But I think there's at least another alternative that they heard the voice, and it means that the voice which was walking, as opposed to they heard the voice walking. If you read it as they heard the voice walking, that's a problem with that. Because what's the noise of a voice walking? How do you hear a voice walking? What's easier to understand, much easier to understand, is they heard the voice which was walking. So how can a voice walk? Well, I, okay, that's, that's a good question. But how can Hashem walk when Hashem is everywhere? I think that's also a good question. So what I'm saying is, um, there's at least, well, there's, there's certainly one problem which the Maral identifies. There's another problem which I identify. So put those in two very different categories. The problem the Maral identifies is the ambiguity. Is it they heard the voice walking or is it they heard Hashem walking? The Maral says that's answered by Rashi adding the word shahaya. They heard the voice of Hashem who was walking. Hashem was walking. Um, I, I think there's also an inherent problem in, it sounds like the pasuk says they heard the voice walking. They heard the sound of the walking of the voice which doesn't make sense. What makes much more sense is they heard the sound of the voice. The voice afterwards is what you hear. So they heard the sound of the voice, which was at the time walking, but not they heard the sound of the walking, which I think the simple reading of the text implies. So anyway, uh, but to avoid either of those problems, the Rashi adds shahaya, so they heard either the voice of Hashem, which was walking, you know, as the voice was walking, or perhaps it is better to go with the maral. they heard the voice of Hashem, who was walking. Yes. Why do we need to be told that the voice... If, if they heard the voice which was walking, which is my, my understanding, why do we need to be told it was walking? Um, to which I would answer with a question, if it's the voice of Hashem who was walking, why do we need to be told that Hashem was walking? You see, where I'm coming from is... is yeah, maybe because I've been well-trained that we don't ascribe physical attributes to Hashem. Okay? Um, I, personally, it's easier for me to say oh, look, there was a voice walking complicated and curious though that is, than to say, say Hashem was walking. Um, but obviously, as I've told you, there's you know, much, much, much bigger authorities than me who interpret it differently, who seem to have less of a problem with Hashem walking. Um, but to, uh, my answer to your question is, why would we need to be told Hashem is walking? All we need is Hashem's presence. Maybe that's Hashem walking. Maybe Hashem walking also, like, is the sense of Hashem's presence. Why do they use the word walking and not like, travelling? Well... That why do they use the word walking, not the word like traveling? I don't think we should be so precise because I think the word mithalach can mean going, doesn't necessarily mean walking. Halacha, which rules our lives, is the way of going. It's the way our lives go, not necessarily the way our lives walk. Dafka. So it's not quite analogous to the English translation. Did you have a question? Yeah, I was gonna say, uh kind of means like echoing? So I was gonna say, like, traveling. So. so they heard the voice echoing. Yeah. Because the the uh, voice sound echoes, travels. sound travels. Ah. The voice was going around. Sort of thing. So there, uh, and therefore, you think they? My my problem that how can you hear the voice moving? You're saying you certainly could hear a voice moving. You buy buy it by that's what uh, voices do after see all. Splitting the whole world heard that as well. That would have, sound would have traveled now. Well, uh, sound does travel. I mean, you're, you're pointing out that that's exactly what sound <laughs> so does. It's exactly what sound does. Okay, so between the two of you, you've probably fundamentally undermined my own suggestion, which I will at this point retract, <laughs> and I will stick with the gedolim, who say that Rashi has to tell us it was Hashem who was walking rather than the voice that was walking. I still have a question why Hashem was walking. Okay, yes? Yes. As opposed to. Like yeah. So it's here. So, so it's a. It's pale. It was walking itself. It was self-walking. Mm-hmm. As a in a intransitive sense, trouble is walking is not a transitive verb anyway. So. <laughs> um, I hear. Um, okay, okay, I, I don't. I don't feel obliged to dwell too much on this because Rashid doesn't, at least not explicitly. Maybe it's implicit in his answer. But mit Halech, we'd have to check where else it occurs in the Tanakh. That would be the proper way of analyzing it. And I haven't done that, but that could be your homework for the week. Um, but it's, what, what, what is lehit Halech To go oneself as opposed to le Um Maybe that's the answer, or maybe that's the beginning of the answer to what God is doing not we, because we are physical and we have legs. We would walk. Hashem, who is everywhere, mitaleich walks in an intransitive in a reflexive intransitive sense. But I'm not quite sure what a walking in a reflexive intransitive sense is. Have you got any idea? I, I think chanach walks with God in a Mithalach sense. Um, uh, I've, um, Noah walked with God. Um, how did Noah walk with God? Hit haleich uh, Noach. Same thing. But that was God. Et Hitalech hit haleich Noach. Noach walked with God. Hanach. V'yit haleich Hanach et Sorry, Hanach is Perak Hei Pasuk Kafet. Noach is Perak Vav Pasuk Tet, and both of those, uh, in a, in describing their sidkut, hit we with God, but that doesn't directly help us because in those cases it's the humans who are mithalich. Here it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu Himself. So Khazra kushla dukta. The question returns to its source. So I, I have to say, definitely interesting. I'm not sure where we go with it. Okay. Um, now, let's move on. We've got a few minutes left. L'ruach hayom. Uh, we've got very few minutes left, but we can do this quite clearly. L'ruach hayom. What does it mean, L'ruach hayom? Rashi says, ruach shahashemesh misham. That direction, ruach as in direction, that the sun comes from. Now, in order to understand what Rashi's doing, you can see Rashi on, for instance, shir Hashira in Perak dalad Pasak vav, where he says, that the Chama, he uses the word Chama there, is called Yom. Uh, And there's also a Gemara in Avodah Zara, where Rashi's comment on the Gemara makes the same point. And it is suggestive, that's what he's doing here, that the word Ruach Hayom means Ruach Hashemesh. It's not direction of the day, it's direction of the sun. So it's direction that the sun came to there, from there, I mean, there's another girsa in Rashi you may or may not have in your text, that instead of saying Misham, it says Lusham, which actually makes more sense. But the direction that the sun goes to there. And which is that? Well, Rashi goes on to say, hi Ma'aravit. This is the western side. Shalifanav Erev Chama Bamarav. Because towards evening, the sun is in the west. V'heim Sarchu Ba'asirit. And they sinned, in the tenth hour. So there's a Gemara um, in. Um, we saw before, I forget. Oh, no, here it is. Sorry, in my book. Sanhedrin, Lamanche Amabet. We learned it when we were talking about um, Adam having relations with the animals, and we bought the Divrei David, who said he, he brought this Gemara. That's why you may recall seeing it before in this year. Um, that goes through the 12 hours of the day and what happened in each hour. Hashem made this and Hashem made that. And then in the 10th hour, Adam and Chavah sinned. So Rashi is actually bringing this Midrash to show that the event happened in the afternoon when the sun was already in the west. And that is how he understands Ruach Hayom, which is the direction that the sun goes to. And we will stop there because it's time for Mariv. We will meet again next week. in Hashem.